Hello, and welcome to Finding Truth Matters with Dr. Andrew Corbett. We're pleased to have you join us for tonight's program. So whenever someone says, uh, I can't believe there's, there's this God of the Bible because there's, there's evil and suffering in the world, and how could a good or powerful God allow that? It sounds like an intellectual objection, but I've discovered over the years this is more often than not an emotional objection. With the fall of the Berlin Wall and the introduction of the internet in the early 90s, our world moved into what we have termed the information age. It's become the age of ideas, but not all of them have been good ideas. We're seeing the truths of the Bible increasingly challenged. So the question for us as believers is, how do we respond? Tonight, Dr. Corbett begins a five-part series on apologetics. And no, it's not related to apologising at all. There is some really valuable teaching coming up. So grab a notepad and pen, buckle up, and let's join Dr. Corbett for his introduction to apologetics. I'm going to be starting a, a series now that's going to run over the next few weeks and it's going to be interspersed with a couple of very special guests. Uh, you heard on the news that we're going to have the Anglican Bishop of Tasmania come and share in a few weeks and that, that is going to be so special. He, uh, in talking with him, he just is so busy and it's, it, it was quite a job to uh, have him shuffle things around to be with us and we're one of the few if not the only non-Anglican church that he's going to um, actually be ministering in speaking in and so it's a real privilege to have him and he's a really really sharp guy and he's a good guy too and a couple of weeks after that or about three weeks after that we're going to have another guy come and I've wanted to have him for a while as well and again we're just able to get our diaries to line up so that he can be with us and he's going to fly and he's super busy as well but he's he's made time to be with us for the day and it's going to be such a privilege and I hope that over the next few weeks you see why strategically having these two men in particular here is, is so important and we'll, we'll explain more as we go along. What I'm going to be talking about is something that for some of you you're going to hear perhaps what I have to say and you're going to go oh Oh, oh. And, I, and I hope you don't. I hope you don't do that. And I want to explain why, because I, I really appreciated our praying and the word that came this morning that God wants to do something in our country and he wants to do something. And, and I, was, I was thinking that coming back to Australia uh, just over a week ago and hearing the stories of drought, and I've been praying for rain and I guess I, I didn't specify where because, you know, today it's raining. And I was thinking, you know, today could be a new day for us as a church, for you. Today could be the first day where you can, you can say that's when it changed. Today's the day when, when things began to turn around in my thinking and in, in my heart. I need to just share with you some of the background so that you hear my heart in what I'm sharing. This modern age, as you see here, is also known as the Industrial Age. It began in the 1800s. It began in the early 1800s when, a, when this thing called factories was invented. Now you might have grown up with factories. Your parents may have worked in a factory and you may have thought factories have been around for thousands of years. They haven't. They're a fairly recent invention. And, and because factories came into being, this entire era was, was known as the Industrial Age. The industrial age came to an end not that long ago, 
But the industrial age was marked by things like um, scientific discoveries. Major scientific discoveries were made in the industrial age. And it was uh, an age when human engineering developed some of the biggest buildings, some of the biggest boats, some of the biggest uh, of everything. So it was an age when technology exploded. It It was quite unreal. Does anyone know when the industrial age ended? It ended November 1991. If you remember 1991, for some of you it might be a blur, for some of you it might be before you were even born. But something very significant happened and it was the Berlin Wall came down. And not only did the Berlin Wall come down, around that time, coincidentally, the internet started. And when the internet started, it it ushered in an entirely new age. What do we call the age that we're in now? The information age. Or someone said digital age, same same sort of thing. The digital age or the information age. And the information age is an age of ideas. And this is where, when you realise now that the internet is largely about ideas. And, And Ruby and I and Kim came in a little bit later on, were watching uh, 20 to 1, it was a thing on um, Apple TV, it was 20 to 1, what do I call it when, when something, uh, viral, viral videos, viral videos. It was quite amazing how many of these viral videos have to do with kittens and other things that are what we call amusing, amusing. And the word muse means to think. And when you put A in front of a word, it means to, it, it cancels out that word, right? So, so amuse means to not think. So when you watch most of the stuff on the internet now, you don't have to think. It's, it's amusing. But behind it all are certain ideas. And oftentimes ideas spread on Facebook. And the, idea it's, the ideas that themselves aren't weighed up. In fact, I just received a notice from Facebook saying that they're going to remove the like count from posts now on Facebook. Because what they found is that people are sharing particular posts, not because the post is any good, but because everyone else shared it. Or because everyone else has liked it. And so these are the so Facebook have gone, some of these posts, I'm assuming Facebook have gone, some of these posts are actually stupid. They don't deserve to be shared. <laughs> and to that we all say, Amen. And so the idea is that we now live in this information age where ideas are shared and yet we're not actually thinking through whether these ideas have any merit or whether there's any value to the ideas. And recently there there were some ideas that, well, every day there's ideas that are shared on the internet and people take these these ideas sometimes with tremendous authority. And I'm I'm often amazed now that... um, news journalists will go and speak to an authority on a subject and I'll see the little byline down there's their face and down here it says such and such blogger I'm thinking blogger his qualification is that he blogs this is unbelievable this is but this is the world we live in so here's the thing now that we can see about ideas all ideas have consequences all ideas have consequences And some really bad ideas, well, in fact, all bad ideas, have victims. So ideas have consequences and bad ideas have victims. 
And so as a church now, here we are trying to do what we consider to be to proclaim the truth. We're trying to share something that we believe will literally change people's lives for the better. But we're up against a whole bunch of ideas that have got into people's hearts and minds that kind of our message hits a, a roadblock before we even get started. And you may have found this in sharing with people. They'll, they'll come out with all kinds of stuff they've read on the internet, you know, all, all sorts of silly ideas. So we've got some challenges here as a church. That's why I really feel we need to talk about this and get this right. So I think Jesus actually forewarned us about this and he gave a parable, he gave a story. And one of the things that I think is really cool about Jesus is, is he never gave a lecture. Jesus never gave a lecture. He only really ever told stories and he gave these kinds of stories and this is one of them listen he said behold a sower went out to sow and as he sowed some seed fell along the path and the birds came and devoured it other seed fell on rocky ground and notice that rocky ground where it did not have much soil and immediately it sprang up since it had no depth of soil so I just want you to notice that this seed's got in, but its roots can't go deep. The roots only can go so far. And because of that, the top of the plant thinks, oh, good, okay, we're done. And it, it looks like it's taken root. It looks like it's grown. But it's actually hit rock. There's rocks in that soil. So this is what Jesus is saying. And when the sun rose, it was scorched since it had no root. It withered away other seed Jesus said fell among thorns and the thorns grew up and choked it and it yielded no grain Now Jesus will tell us what all this means in just a moment and other seeds fell into good soil and that's what I hope we can cultivate good soil and, I, and I'm going to ask you to respond in a moment and ask God I'm, I'm going to ask you whether you will allow God to do something in your heart so that all our hearts can be good soil hearts. But Jesus said this, Other seed fell into good soil and produced grain, growing up and increasing and yielding 30-fold and 60-fold and 100-fold. So Jesus goes on and, and explains to the disciples that the thorns and the weeds that grew up were like, the, he says, the cares and the pleasures of this world. These are the things that bring pleasure and excitement but in fact they're designed to destroy a soul and Jesus warns about that so just because someone has a desire or they want doesn't always mean it's good for them that's an idea that doesn't fly well today because there are so many other ideas that say the opposite this is what we're up against. So wrong ideas are like the rocky soil and they inhibit the word of God from taking root. So what I'm going to suggest to you as a church that we, as much as we want to see our friends and neighbours and family turn to Christ and come to Christ next week, the reality is for some of us, we're going to get it today that it might actually take and you're not going to like this idea. 
But it might take years. It might take years for their rocky ground soil to become good ground soil. So let's, let's have a look then at why, why that is possible and how it's possible. And that's where I need to introduce this to you. This is why, here's this word, apologetics. Now apologetics sounds like, I'm so sorry. But I'll explain that word to you in a moment because to apologise only in recent terms has come to mean, I'm so sorry, because apologise actually does mean something and I'll, I'll give you its pure meaning in a moment. That's, but it's why apologetics is called for and is necessary for preparing the way for the word of God to enter into human hearts. So this word apologetics, if you ever come into my office, which is sort of over in the far corner of the building, you'll see that I have wall-to-wall books. I have, I have quite a few books. And I have them categorised in, I have two long shelves of biographies. Biographies are by far my favourite to read. That's the stories of people's lives. And then I have an entire bookcase, which is almost floor to ceiling. And every book in there is about apologetics. And I don't necessarily always enjoy reading apologetics stuff, but I have found over the last few years it's the most needed. It's where the greatest need is. So just hang in there with me for a bit, would you please? Because I'm about to go a little bit deep. We're about to take this submarine just a little bit deeper now. This word apologetics is actually based on two parts of words from the Greek. And the Greek word that it comes from is apologia. Apologia. And that's made up of these two parts we'll see in a minute. But that word apologia, translated in English as apologetics, is actually the Greek word in 1 Peter chapter 3 and verse 15. And it says, always being prepared to make a defense. Or well, the Greek word is apologia. To anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. So here's where some of you may go, oh man, you know, it's just about reaching you know, people who are deep thinkers. It's actually not. Ideas don't just affect deep thinkers. Ideas affect everyone. And we need to know how do we transact good ideas and replace the bad ideas that culture have with good, reasonable ideas. And that's what apologetics is, as you'll see in a moment. So it's from two parts. The first part is apo, which is the Greek word meaning deriving from or to deliver. And the second word, you'll probably recognise this because we have this in English all the time. Logos, where we have biology, uh, geology. So wherever you see ology, it's from this Greek word, logos, which means the reason or to give the word. So word, reason. So when you put those two together, apo plus logos, it actually makes this Greek word apologia, and in English, it's the word apologetics. But it means to give the reason, to give the reason. So this is where I, I hope, if, if nothing else, you, today you hear this, that if someone asks you, why are you a Christian? Or why do you go to church? I hope that you will respond by saying something like this. Because I have good reasons to believe it's true. 
Now you might be thinking, oh yeah, I could say that. And now you might be thinking, well, what are those reasons? And, and for some of you, maybe you've never thought about that. Maybe you've never thought, well, why do I believe what I believe? And this is the problem. Because if I had the time, I would explain to you one of the urgent needs we have to explain this and go through this is because what happens is young people get into upper high school and then they get into university or college and they, they become confronted with all kinds of ideas that are contrary to what we just take for granted as Christians but maybe we've never taken the time to ask the question why do we believe that? Maybe parents have been confronted by their children asking why do we believe this? And parents go, don't ask questions, just accept it by faith. And I don't want any parent to answer that way to their children. Can I tell you that when my son, who's now 28 years of age, going on 12, it was when, when he was in year 11, he was doing philosophy and religion at Launceston College. Now, you would think doing philosophy and religion would be about philosophy and religion. Yes, you would think. It wasn't. It was an entire two-year program on atheism. Why all religion was illogical and false. And why atheism was true and how the naturalistic explanations that science offers completely do away with any need for God. So my son would come home and he would say, Dad, why do, why do we believe there's a God? Because the philosophy teacher today, he said he can show that something can come from nothing. And he said he's shown it scientifically, it's possible. Now fortunately for my son, I had just been, coincidentally, just been reading a paper on a thing called vacuum fluctuations. And vacuum fluctuations is something that Einstein proposed back in the 1930s and 40s. Now, he couldn't see if it was true, but he, he, he's kind of a brainiac. And he, he figured out that the way the universe worked is that this is probably true, that when you boil down to the smallest particles of things, because when I went to school, the smallest thing was an atom. And by the time I got to grade five, they said, no, there's actually things inside the atom, protons, neutrons, and electrons. And then by the time I get into high school, I'm hearing, no, there's actually stuff inside the neutrons, there's actually stuff inside the protons, there's actually stuff inside the... And it just kept getting smaller and smaller and smaller. So this is where you end up with these things called subatomic particles. And then it branched into this whole other realm called quantum physics where you're dealing with stuff that's smallest smallest measures of energy and Einstein theorized that these things because they're not made up so much of material they can actually travel really really fast in fact he said they're probably traveling as fast as anything in the universe can travel which is anyone know what the limit of travel is speed of light and that's what Einstein said. So he said, my proposal is that one day we'll be able to measure this. We'll be able to see what appears to be something in an atom that appears to come out of nothing. And the reason it will appear to come out of nothing is because we can't track the speed of light. And we can just see it and, it looks, and it's come from nowhere. And I was able to share this paper with my son about this thing, vacuum fluctuations, which happens in the tiniest part of an atom. And I said, give that to your philosophy teacher and tell him he's wrong he's 20 years behind the latest science and my son read it and thought 
Cool. Now, at that point, he had argued for God. He refused to go along with the atheism, but he, he, he didn't have a lot of reasons. And his philosophy teacher had given him a D. And when he started coming up with this stuff, at the end of the program, he, did he get an A? He got an A because he'd shown the philosophy teacher that he was wrong and outdated. At the end of that program, the philosophy teacher resigned. Now, Rika's not here, is she? Is Rika here? No. Rika was the chaplain at Launceston College at that time. A year or two later, she was talking with the new philosophy and religion teacher and said, oh, you're doing the atheism component? Can I suggest a guest speaker? And Rika rang me up and said, what are you doing for the next five weeks? I said, as normal, I said, nothing. I'm just sitting here, crosswords, Sudoku, just. So I was the guest lecturer, teacher at year 11 and 12, which is Launceston College, for five weeks. The first week, a whole bunch of boys came in. Sat like this, literally sat like this in the front row. And they came in, they didn't just come in, they came in and they did this. Imagine this is Richard Dawkins' book, um, The God Delusion. They came in and they did this. And I thought, this is going to be fun, isn't it? This is... And at the end of that first session, I was able to explain that the universe points toward the God of the Bible because... As you'll see, and I'll explain it to you as we go through this series. And at the end of it, some of the boys went like this. By the third week, hands were going up and saying, okay, there's a God, but which God is it? And at that point, I thought, my job here is done. By the third week, the head of the science department came in to hear my talk because he wanted to know if I was, as all rumours have it, um, a bit of a nit and he came in and he said you obviously <laughs> I won't tell you what he said but it was it was complimentary now I'm only saying that to say I did that with my son with my own son I'm a pastor and I had to do that with my own son and and I know that for some parents this is going to be this is not something you traffic in every day so I want to help you over the next few weeks to have some basic training so you can do it so apologetics means to give the reason. Apologetics is going to help you to do the following. Firstly, to know the truth. So apologetics actually gives you the confidence that what we believe is actually true. Secondly, apologetics is going to help you to develop discernment. Discernment means the ability to determine what's right and what's wrong. Or I love what Spurgeon said, discernment is actually the ability to determine what's right from what's nearly right. And the third thing it's going to do is it's going to give you some wisdom to be able to share it appropriately, to be able to share the truth appropriately. So that, that's the journey we're going to be on. You, you want to come on the journey with me? All right. So apologetics deals with objections that are intellectual, social, emotional, Objections to Christianity, the claims of Christianity. So whenever someone says, oh, I can't believe there's, there's this God of the Bible because there's, there's evil and suffering in the world and how could a good or powerful God allow that? 
Oftentimes, what's behind that, it sounds like an intellectual objection. But I've discovered over the years, this is more often than not an emotional objection. And it's an emotional objection because someone close to that person has just gone through an agonising death. And that is emotionally very, very difficult to respond to. So here, you're going to hear me say this. There are some questions that people ask and they don't need an intellectual answer. They need a hug. So when we as Christians don't listen well, we can confuse what we're about. So let's, let's unpack this verse. And this is our key verse. But in your hearts, honour Christ the Lord as holy. What is holy? Holy is uniquely beautiful that's what that word holy means when we we sang it this morning Jesus is holy God is holy we're saying he is beautiful when I say beautiful I don't just mean oh that's that's beautiful I mean take your breath away beautiful I mean like I've never seen anything more beautiful beautiful that kind of beautiful so when you say holy that's what we're saying he's so uniquely pure and magnificent and beautiful and so we start with something settling in our hearts. But in your hearts, honour Christ the Lord as holy. Always, here it is, always being prepared to make a defence to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Yet do it with, what are those two words? First word, gentleness and respect. Do it with gentleness and respect. So this is what apologetics is about. It's not this bombastic, I'm right, you're wrong, I'm clever, you're an idiot, let me prove to you that I know more than you. That's not what apologetics is about at all. So we now live in a world that people are actually calling post-truth. You know, We don't care about the truth anymore, where the main objection to Christianity is rarely intellectual. It's more often moral and emotional. Winky Prattney said, and quite a profound thing, and he was here a few years ago, he said most of the objections that he found teenagers and people in their 20s had about Christianity, they'd come up with all these intellectually sounding objections. And he said one guy came to him, he asked, he rang up, he said, can I come and talk to you? I've got all these objections about your God and I just, no one's been able to give me answers. And so he came and he had, he had them all written out on a page. And he came to Winky Pratt and said, I've got all these ob ob objections and questions about Christianity and no one's been able to answer them. And, and, I, and they tell me that you're a smart guy and you can. And Winky said, I'm not interested in your page. I want to know how long have you been sleeping with your girlfriend? And the guy's like, what? Yeah, my guess is you're probably raised in a church. And my guess is you're probably sleeping with your girlfriend and now you've got all these objections to Christianity. And the guy said, how'd you know? He said, ah, oh, I've been here before with people because oftentimes people's objections sound like they're intellectual, but they're moral. Because if Jesus is true and the word of God is true, do you realise that's going to have some serious implications for how you live? So here's, as I'm sort of going to bring this to a close now. I'm just wetting your appetite. This is the introduction for apologetics. Apologetics has to be bathed in prayer. 
for those we're starting with. That, that's because there are some people who are going to hear this and go, oh, we just got to you know, come up with clever answers. No, it's not about clever answers. I've told you, sometimes our best answer is a hug. Sometimes our best answer is to go around and be with people. Sometimes our best apologetics is to demonstrate what it looks like to have Christ living in your life. So to do that, to have the greatest impact, we need prayer. Can I ask those people in our church who know how to pray? I've come back from America watching. I saw some outstandingly weird stuff. One of them was two ladies Old, like really old, at least nearly 189 years old. They were old. They were really old. And they, they were dottery and they, you, you didn't know they were going to fall over at any point. They were, and I got introduced to them and uh, because I was hanging out with Billy Graham's grandson, Will, and, and I got introduced to these two ladies who were from Texas. Um, one was Pat, one was Carol. And th- they said, oh, where are you from, Tasmania? And, and we're trying to get Bill, uh, Bill Graham's, Willie, Billy Graham's grandson here um, uh, to, to do a series of meetings. And, and they said, Tasmania. All right, we're going to start praying for Tasmania. In fact, we'll probably come to Tasmania and we're going to pray for Tasmania. And these ladies travel around with Billy Graham's grandson praying for God to bless Will. That's all we have time for tonight. For a CD copy or premium download of tonight's discussion, please go to our website, findingtruthmatters.org and select Apologetics Introduction from our online store. As we've heard tonight, ideas have consequences and bad ideas have victims. There is a challenge for us as believers to be able to represent truth to a world that has lost sight of it. More from Dr Corbett next week with part two of the Apologetic series. Dr Corbett is pastor of Lagana Christian Church and president of ICI Theological College Australia. We look forward to joining you again same time next week for another Finding Truth Matters.